We are finishing up a little two-part series that we titled Prayer That Transforms. Prayer That Transforms. Would you turn to that person next to you and say, Prayer That Transforms. I want them to know what the title is. That's right, Prayer That Transforms. And if you weren't here last week, let me review for a little bit the first part. Prayer That Transforms You. That was the title of last week's teaching. Prayer That Transforms You. And what we taught you was that prayer is about communicating with your Savior. Prayer is about talking, engaging the living God. Uh, Depending on how you grew up, you may have thought that prayer was a religious duty. You may have thought that there were special words that if you said them in the right order as they were written in the scriptures, that that would give you some magical, mystical power to overcome some things. Well, prayer literally is nothing more than you and your God communicating. He's always wanted to have a relationship with you. And so last week, what we taught you in prayer that transforms you is that each and every one of us are different. And so I grew up in a season in Christendom where the whole concept was, can you not tear? Could you not tear for one hour? Could you not pray every morning for one hour? And the problem was, no, I couldn't. I couldn't do it for one hour. 30 minutes into it, I'm like, I don't know what to do now. And the reason that was is because there were folks teaching that that had a way of communicating to God that was important to them, but it wasn't the way I communicate. And so last week, I helped you understand that there are different forms of communication and uh, different ways that people communicate. For some of you, you are scheduled hour by hour of the day communicators. You have appointments with people. You sit for an hour. For others of you, you communicate, you know, uh, like a mosaic all over the place. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there, but all throughout the day in, in engagement with friends and, and coworkers and people like that. And so what I taught you last week is that however you communicate, he doesn't care. He just wants to communicate with you on a day-to-day basis, moment by moment throughout the day, that you and your God have a relationship. And I taught you this. Think about no communication equals what? No relationship. Bad communication, think about some of us married folks, equals what? Bad. Good communication equals what? Good relationship. So if we have great communication, we'll have great relationship. And so I'm trying to help you understand that prayer is you and your God engaging in communication. That's all it really is. But I did give you some teaching points on in that engagement, what should kind of be happening. And I gave you kind of four little things that when you engage the Father in prayer, when you engage Jesus, Holy Spirit in prayer, it should number one be a time of sanitizing the soul sanitizing the soul. Come on, we live in the world. We're daily, I mean, you drive down I-20 like I do in 35 and 67. Woo, I got to have some time with Jesus somewhere in the day after driving on 67 through all of that, all of that construction and people are cutting me off and I have to have some time. Lord, you're going to have to sanctify me, sanitize because right now I want to murder people. I don't know why this is coming up, Lord. So I just want to, so you got to have that. That's your time of prayer should have that because you know what? Because even the church people, like I thought they were better than this, doggone it. And you've got to have your time engaging with the Lord on a daily basis where you let him sanitize you. Lord, I still got them old thoughts. Them old dirty thoughts in my mind, I need you to sanitize me. It should, second of all, be a time of, of refreshing the commitment. Refreshing the commitment. This is what we taught you last week. We're just going over it again so you, everybody's on the same page. A time of refreshing the commitment. That you and I refresh. We wake up every day and say, Jesus, no matter what happens today, I love you. I'm faithful to you. I know you'll always, you'll never leave me or forsake me. And I'm telling you now, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you either. Can you imagine if your wife woke you up every morning, bro, before you went to work and she said, baby, I'm committed to you. There's not another man that I even think is good looking. They're all ugly and terrible. You're my man. You walk to work, boy, you go to work. 
We have to have a refreshing of the commitment. I'll never forget when my third baby died, and I was up at that hospital with its little body in a Ziploc bag, bringing, them, bringing that body for them to test on it. And as soon as I handed it over to the technician, I found a bathroom in that, in that hospital. Jamie was at home. And, I, and, I, and I, I punched the mirror, and I was angry at God. But I had enough sense to refresh the commitment. I said, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand you right now. In fact, I'm, I'm ticked off at you. But I know this, that you'll never leave me. And I wonder, in this time of hardship, I, I'm, I'm confused. I won't quit on our relationship. I'm your pastor today because I, in that moment, I didn't quit on the relationship. You need to refresh the relationship on a day-to-day basis. Here's the third thing I taught you to do in prayer that's going to literally transform you. And that is be refilled in the Spirit daily in your engagement with the Lord. There should be a refilling of the Spirit, a refreshing. Uh, some of you carry this junk all day long because you just don't get in the presence of the Lord. You don't just let him refresh you and let the Spirit of the Lord refill you. We studied that passage in Acts where after they had had this real intense moment, they all got together and prayed and said the Spirit of the Lord fell on them again. And they were refilled with the Spirit of the Lord. And that's why I teach you guys all the time uh, that you and I need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in our life. We have an encounter retreat coming up. You really should sign up for that. You should go on the encounter. Get a refilling, a refreshing in the Spirit. I want every one of you to have power flowing through your veins as you go through this horrible tough life and we believe at church on the hill that the moment you become a christian the spirit of the lord comes and lives inside of you but we also believe in another experience with the holy spirit and that is the baptismo of the holy spirit where you get power empowerment comes from on high for me i have a beautiful prayer language i pray it in private with the lord and it's this divine connection it doesn't mean that if you don't have one you don't go to heaven uh just the opposite you go to heaven because you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the christ the son of the living god you serve him but i love that each and every one of you or somewhat hungry for a prayer language to have your own love. And I'm telling you, he wants to give that to you. It is a beautiful thing for me. And I wake up in those moments where I feel throughout the day like, ah, I just don't want to go on. And I'll pray in my prayer language and I'll feel this refilling happening. And I want that for each and every one of you. The fourth thing that I taught you, that if your time of transforming prayer of you, it needs to be a time, number four, of petitioning for needs. And we taught you, that's not a give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's Lord, show me. Lord, show me what you're trying to show me, because I know you've already worked these things out. Where am I missing it, Lord? I know that you don't want us to be poverty. I know you don't want us to lose our house. I know, Lord God, that you don't want my son to die in the hospital with this. Lord, show me how to pray. Show me, Lord, what, what, what my engagement can be in this part, because we were teaching you prayer that transforms you. Today, we want to move into the second and final part of this prayer that transforms series, and that is prayer that transforms your surroundings. Would you turn to that person next to you and say, your surroundings? Tell them that. Prayer that transforms your surroundings. You have to understand. You've got to get this. You are in a cosmic battle the moment you were born. There's a cosmic battle between darkness and light, between God and the forces of evil for the souls of men. You were born into it. From the very beginning, you were born into this cosmic battle. There is a identifying, a real Lucifer. The Bible says that Lucifer, who was one of three archangels that we can identify in Scripture, in other words, a a head, if you will, a a governing archangel, probably overseeing scores of others, probably one-third because we see three total, and Michael, Gabriel, and then in Lucifer. And there's this moment 
moment that the scriptures teach us that Lucifer, because he was so beautiful, and the Bible describes Lucifer as his body literally as music. As he, as he moves about his parts, the beautiful music comes out. And of all of the creatures that God had created, he is, if you will, the most beautiful or one of the most beautiful. And in that, his arrogance kind of came forward, and he decided that he was going to overthrow heaven. He's going to overthrow Father God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And it says this, it says that he tricked, if you will, or led away a third of the angels. And in that cosmic moment, battle, he began to rage a battle against God the Father. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So if I could paint the imagery, if you will, Lucifer gets all of the, these third angels, and they decide, attack! And they come busting into the throne of God. Attack! Rah! And the Bible says Jesus probably was working over here. It says that God the Father probably just did something like that. And they're all gone. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. What happened in that point, I would imagine that as God created us, his sons and daughters, in his image, that something shifted for the fallen angels, we call them demons, and Satan. And that is, since I can't defeat God, let me chase after his children to harm them. And you have to understand, you mess with me, it's one thing. You mess with my kids, you're going to die. There's no even no rationale to it. I just, I don't care. Aren't you like that? Listen, I've seen some of your mama bear stuff in, in Walmart, so just go ahead and just own it. Boy, them people at school see you coming. They can't stand when you show up. And the reason that is is because it's our kids. And I think God himself is so angry at how the enemy snipes us as his sons and daughters. And you and I have the role in this cosmic battle, not only for the souls of men, but for our own souls. And there is a battle. There's an enemy. And I want to teach you, just so we have a balanced teaching here, the three enemies that we all face. This is a, a little side teaching to help put in perspective. There are three enemies trying to destroy you and me on a day-to-day basis. Number one, the world. The Bible keeps talking about the world. Have nothing to do with the world or its ways. Have nothing to do with the world. And I would define the world as not not so much, it is. yes, it's people at times, but it's people who don't know God, and so as a result, they just live their life out, and that affects us as a believer. It, it causes them to, if you will, be attacking of us. There's a system in place that is worldly. Uh, the systems that forces of evil have gotten in place, and now that system, I think, is kind of what the, world, uh, the Bible is referring to when it says the world. The second big enemy to you and me is us, you are your own enemy. And the reason why is because you have a sin nature. So it's your sin nature. It's one of your enemies. All throughout scriptures, we hear us being taught to crucify our flesh. We all were born into sin. You don't realize this, but it's more natural to sin than it is to not sin. Think about it. You're riding up 67. That, la- that lady cuts you off steadily on her cell phone texting. And the natural response is, that's what's natural. It's not natural. It's like, oh, I just bless you. Oh, God bless you. Oh, I just speak God's favor over you. Oh, I sing over you that the Lord I call you to a place of repentance to know the Lord. That's not what you're thinking. You're thinking, how do I put one of those giant metal grades on the front of my truck that I hit them in the back of their car and push them on over into other traffic so they're destroyed forever and ever and ever? Right? That's our sin nature, right? Our sin nature is natural. And you and I have to crucify it daily. It is one of our enemies. And the third and final enemy that I, think I see in Scripture against you and me is Satan and the demonic forces themselves. They are on assignment to destroy us. 
you got to understand this. And let me prove that to you for just a moment, if I could. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 says it like this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's what? Say it out loud. Against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against your wife and your boss and your kids. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Not the government, not the police. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil and about the heavens. So let me break that down for you a little bit. Most scholars Go back and forth about the heavenly realms. What are they? How many of them are there? As we can identify the best, there are four heavenly realms. Uh, they, uh, Paul called them heaven. He said, I was taken into the third heaven. He said, I know a man who went up into the third heaven. So if I could help you illust- uh, understand this, there is the first heaven or the first realm, the natural realm that you and I live in. Right now, you can see me. You can hear me. You can touch that person next to you. You feel it. You're sitting on a chair. It's, you can sense it. There's a second heaven or a second realm, which is a spiritual realm. It's undeniable. You know that as a spiritual being. You can sense things. You ever walked into a room and the hair on the back of your neck stood up? You're like, woo, something up in here. Woo. There's a spiritual realm. This is the realm where angels and demons do their warfare. It's happening in that spiritual realm. You may not be able to see it, but it's there. Okay? Then there's a third heaven or a third realm, and that's where the throne of God is at, where all the orchestration of the heavenly things that God oversees, the whole, all the the cosmos and all those things are happening from the throne of God. And then there's a fourth heaven that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, a new heaven and a new earth. Come on, are you with me? So that's being constructed. We got to get Adam a bigger, a bigger toilet. He said he wants one made out of gold. He got that whole thing happening in the fourth heaven. We live in the first heaven, and the first heaven is affected by the second heaven, and the second heaven is affected by the first heaven because they are t- tied together, even though you may not be able to see it. And so, what Paul is teaching us that we should put on the whole armor of God so we can take our stand against the schemes, and there's spiritual wickedness and darkness where? In heavenly realms that are scheming against us. Us. You got to understand there's a real devil that's scheming against you. He has plotted out how to get your kids sick so you will walk away from God. He is scheming against the, all of hell lost their mind when you became a Christian. Somebody got fired. How do you let her talk to him? How did you let her get to church? You're fired. Somebody lost their job. There has been a scheme against you from the moment you were born. Some of you were molested. What do you think that was? There was a scheme to destroy you, make you destructive so you would hurt others. There's this whole plan going forward. If I hurt her, then what she'll do is she'll have kids. They'll be all screwed up, and then they'll mess up everybody, and everyone around them will be all violent and wicked and perverted, and there's a scheme at work. And you've got to have an understanding that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities that are scheming against you. It's not necessarily your husband. Maybe he surrendered to a scheme. Maybe you're being influenced by what he's surrendering to. But at the end of the day, either the Bible is true or it's a lie. I take it as truth that there are schemings happening from the pits of hell and the forces of evil trying to kill us. The Bible says it like this, Satan came to steal kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. I've engaged in the, in the natural realm. I've come, down out of, I've come down out of the third heaven. I've come down out of there, Jesus says, and I've put myself right in the middle of the first heaven, dealing with the second heaven, and I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to live it out. 
I don't know why Jesus, why didn't he just make some videos of, 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 of what he wanted us to be and send it down in a video library and we all climb the special mountain and go watch the video library. Jesus came in the form of a man, lived it out amongst us, showed us how to take the enemy by the nap of the head and say, get under my feet. He showed us how to do it and you and I should be walking therein. The enemy actually, Satan himself, actually can hinder you. Look what this passage says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Therefore, Paul said, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan did what? Say it out loud. Hindered us. But Satan did what? Hindered us. One more time. Hindered us. You've got to hear yourself say it. Hindered us. Satan has the ability to hinder you if you let him. Paul, I don't think any of us are better apostles than Paul was. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He raised Eutychus from the dead. I mean, pretty powerful man of God. And yet he was hindered. Why? Because there's a real enemy who has real power to hinder. And you and I need to learn how to take that away. You and I need to learn how to come into our rightful place as royal priests and take over what the enemy has tried to put as strongholds in our life. And with that being said, how do we go about doing that? I want to start teaching you that now. Our key verse in today's teaching comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. This is your key verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Say, they're not carnal. Say it. They're not carnal. But they are mighty in God for what? Pulling down strongholds. For pulling down strongholds. Paul gives us imagery here of what's happening in the spirit room. That there are strongholds. That our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty. They're mighty through God for pulling down these strongholds. And let me help you understand a little bit what a stronghold is. So yes, what's a stronghold? And here we find it connected almost to, 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 to warfare. So what's, the, what's, the, what's a stronghold and what's important about this whole literal warfare thing? And the answer is simply this. A stronghold is a warring position of advantage. A warring position of advantage. So when we look in ancient times, biblical uh, Old Testament or ancient times, we find that the scripture talks about strongholds. We find in ancient warfare that they were constantly trying to get to the stronghold. And what that is, is a high position. It's an advantage point in warfare. And so typically what you see all throughout ancient times is you tried to find a way to get higher ground Because when the enemy and you are fighting, if you had higher ground, you have an advantage shooting down. They have a disadvantage of shooting up. You have an advantage of knocking them as they try to come up. You can stay in a defensive and offensive position all at the high ground. It is a place of power. In fact, King David, when he built the city of David, he built it on a high ground on a plain that was literally a plain on top of a mountain. He built the city of David up there. That's why when the Holy Scripture says, and we're going to climb the mountain of God, what they're saying is we're going to climb up this spot where the temple is at, and not only are we in a safe place practically from the enemies of God, but we're also in a safe place, if you will, from the spiritual enemies, and we're going to go into the throne of God because he is my stronghold, my safe place. He is the place of advantage above all the stuff below. And what you and I don't realize is that the enemy is constantly trying to get advantage, a height advantage, a high place advantage over you. I'm a kid of the 80s, so I remember when Ronald Reagan, and we were in the midst of the Cold War, where President Reagan decided what he called the Star Wars program. Anybody remember that? And what was happening in those days, we were worried about Russia shooting nukes over at us, or whoever else shooting nukes over at us. 
So Reagan and the great scientists of the United States, they developed these satellites, these, uh, these military satellites that could be put up in the atmosphere that literally had these laser beams hooked to them. And you shoot, you shoot a rocket, and they're just going to zap them from the, from, from the satellite. That was his whole program. And once he started instituting that is when we saw Russia and all of them say, never mind, we quit. Because we bankrupt them. Because they couldn't afford putting that many. Because they've been wait, wasting all their time on nuclear weapons. And we started finding a higher place so that we could shoot down those things. Are you with me? Stay with me. And so as a result, you've got to understand, there's an enemy who hates you, who's scheming against you. So where is he trying to get in your life? He's trying to get in the high place. He's trying to get in the place above. There's a spiritual high place that he's trying to get in your life. And each and every one of us suffer, if you will, are attacked from the high places. So I illustrated it with these balloons today. And so we see in each and every one of our lives, in our personal life, we'll have some of these high places. Things like doubt and fear. Things like selfish ambition. And they're high places in our life. They're strongholds. And even though we love God, it's like we can't get past this fear. We walk in a room and we automatically are scared that someone's not going to like us or whatever. That's a stronghold. That's a high place in your life. And the Bible says that we pull them down. Come on, somebody. Then there are these strong places, these strongholds, high places in our family unit and and, and who we are as a family unit. Things like sickness and things like financial problems. These are strongholds. Your parents were poor. You feel like you're going to be poor. Your kids are already acting poor. We got to pull those strongholds down. We got to get above them and not let them be above us. Are you with me? Say yes. And then there are the strongholds over cities and nations. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana originally. And Baton Rouge, Louisiana is the third most violent city per capita in the world. Excuse me, in the United States. Third most violent city. You would feel the violence when you drive into the city. You could sense it. It it was a stronghold. It's a high place. If you've ever been to New Orleans, down in Bourbon Street, the moment you pull into New Orleans, you can feel the spirit of perversion. It's a stronghold. It's a strong man that's being empowered and is keeping its position. That force of evil is keeping its position. But friend, today it's time to make some shifts. We need to engage the living God in a prayer that transforms our surroundings. You don't need to live under a stronghold of perversion. You don't need to live under a stronghold of self-doubt and fear anymore. That has to come down. Your family doesn't need to be under financial difficulty day in and day out and you're barely making it. You don't need to be under sickness and disease and whatever stronghold has kind of dominated your family, divorce and back and forth and all this kind of stuff. It needs to be pulled down. And I'm not going to live in a nation anymore that's disrupted and controlled, if you will, by all this disunity, all of this wickedness. We're going to pull that down as a church and get, are you believe me, position? Come on, you with me? Our rightful position as joint heirs with Christ. Are you there? Say yes. Are you believe me? Say yes. All right. Here's what C.H. Spurgeon said about this whole thing. Make the most of prayer. Because prayer is the master weapon. We should be wise if we use it more and did so with a more specific purpose. You and I, Spurgeon is teaching us that you and I should be very specific in pulling down strongholds. Pulling them down. I will not let my family be poverty in Jesus' name. Point that thing right at it and you start pop, 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 pop. And start warfaring, if you will, using prayer. It is our greatest weapon of war. To pray, to pull down strongholds, to use the bullets of the word of God. And here's the problem that happens a lot of time in church life. Is that you and I, we don't realize that really the enemy is, 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 is Satan and strong men and these forces of evil. And before we know it, we're, we're like fighting amongst each other. Or fighting even in our family unit because that's the scheme. 
That's the high place plan, to drop those things on top of you and I. And if you and I will just wake up, I know sometimes it feels like this. You know, I feel like this as a pastor all the time. Like, come on, guys, let's go. There's the devil. Let's go. Hey, no, no, no. I know you didn't mean to shoot me. Shoot the enemy over there. Let's go. Come on. All right, there you go. Get up here close to me. Why are you lingering so far back? Come to church once a month. They're going to do it. Come on, get up on the line with me. Let's go get the devil. Come on, let's go together. Let's go. Let's go. Charge. Hey, listen, come on, come on, let's sit down. Now, listen, you don't need to be spitting and fighting and fussing and being mad and all the leadership of the church is the devil. They're really not, okay? So the enemy's that way. We're not the enemy, okay? We're on the same team. Now, we may make mistakes, I'm sorry, but listen, you're shooting all of us in the back, so let's not do that. Let's go that way. You ready? Let's go. Charge! And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just want to go. And that's why some of you left church. You're like, I'm tired of getting shot. I don't even believe in God no more. The last church I went to, they did this to me, they did this to me, they did this. And the reason why is because we failed to be a healthy church that recognized who's our enemy. The enemy is not the person sitting next to you. They're not. That's why at this church we say we will relentlessly love Jesus, his church, and the hurting. The hurting's not the enemy. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you right now. If I was lost, I'm going to tell you right now what I would be doing. Number one, I'd be doing all the drugs I could. That would be awesome. Because there's so much junk in my mind. I want it to go away. Are you there? That's what I'd be doing. I'd be smoking dope like crazy. I'd be like, I would have me a marijuana company making millions of dollars. If I was lost, that's what I would be doing. Why? Because I have no other hope. I have nothing else. Are you with me? I'm purposeless. That's what I would be doing. I tell you what else, I'd be sleeping with everybody. I'd be having sex. It'd be fun because that's the only uh, a pleasure I would know how to find because the world system that I'm in. And I probably at some point would have same sex attraction. Ooh, you're looking good too far. <laughs> what? I would probably have all that. So I don't know why, I don't know why the church sees people who are struggling as the enemy. It's the schemes of the wicked one. That's the enemy. And so we keep shooting. The ones we're supposed to rescue. Have you ever played that video game? Where you're, where, that video game where you're running in, you're, you know, you're, you got the little guy. You ever played that at the arcade back in the day? And you're shooting, and you're not, supposed to sit, you're not supposed to shoot the person that you're liberating from prison. And, we keep, and every time you do, you lose points. That's what the church keeps doing. We're supposed to help people come out of darkness. We're supposed to be a place of healing. And we keep shooting the, the wounded. Now we don't have to fool with you. We keep doing that. And we keep shooting each other. Wrong enemy. Wrong direction. You and I have to learn, come on now, we have to learn who our enemy is, and we have to learn how to pull down these strongholds, these places of power that the enemy has set up in our life, in our family, and in our cities and in our nations, and we have to pull them down. That's what the Bible just said. Our key scripture was that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Are you with me today? Say yes. So I'm going to give you some prayer keys that literally will help you pull down the strongholds, help you transform your surroundings. Can I help you today? Is that okay? Can I teach you some stuff? Let's dive in. Okay, prayer keys to transform your surroundings. Number one, pray from your royal position. These are prayer keys to help you transform your surrounding, help you literally pull down the stronghold. A prayer, uh, pray from your royal position. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We're God's sons and God's daughters. 
Here's the other point I would make to you, and that is Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus Christ went down into the bowels of hell, and he defeated sickness, grave, death, all of it, sin. It's all been defeated. He is now resurrected in newness of life, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we are, as we've already quoted, we are royal priesthood. And the Word of God says that we are joint heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs with You and I are victorious, not because we fought a big battle. We are victorious because our Savior and best friend and God and love of our life, he fought and won a big battle. Years ago, I would travel and minister overseas in different places, speaking conferences, and they would give me an honorarium check. And I'll never forget, Jamie and I were brand new, newlyweds, and I had gone out, and I was ministering for like two weeks straight. It was, I was exhausted. I was tired. She was at home having coffee with friends and, and, and and, and going out and doing fun stuff, and I'm working my tail off. And I get home, and I've got the little check. Come on, husbands. I got the check from all of the income that happened, uh, book sales and all the stuff we did. And I brought that money, and I handed it to her. Now, I've been working my tail off. She ain't done nothing. And I handed it to her. And in that moment, guess what she became? More than a conqueror through Jesus Christ our Lord. She didn't do the battle. She just received all the benefits of the one who did all the work. You and I are not the great warriors. Jesus is the great warrior. We receive all the benefits from what he does. And she gets to stand next to me as Miss McCain, who did, because you know what? Because you know what? I'm his, and that's all that matters. And that's how you need to understand your royal position. It's not because you're so great. It's because he's so great. It's not because you won so much. It's because he's won so much. You and I are royal priests because we said yes to him. She is my wife. She has all the benefits and difficulties of being my wife because she said yes. Are you with me? And this is the place from which you need to learn learn to war from. And so when you stand under all of these feelings of self-doubt, you can stand there and say, "I'm, I'm God's man. I, no weapon formed against me can prosper. You start pulling that thing down. You wake up in the morning. You say, you know that self-doubt. I, I don't know if I'm going to keep this job. And listen, I, I, I am above and not beneath. I'm the lender and not the board. You start pulling that thing down, and then you get that thing closed, and you say, no more. And then you grab a hold of that whole thing on perversion, all that porn that you saw back in the day, all that same-sex attraction, and you say, no, 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 I'm the righteousness in Christ Jesus. I know who I am in Christ. That doesn't have any power over me. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a maiden or a woman. I'm going to be a pure man of God, serve him all my days. And you start pulling that thing down. You say, no more perversion. You're out of my life. And you start pulling that thing down. Just pulling it down. All that fear. I can't do it. I don't know if I go for it. Wait a minute. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you pull it down. And then what you do is you now have the high ground and you stand over that thing. So when it tries to come back, you say, no, 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 no. I know who I am in Christ. You have the high ground. Stop letting fear, doubt, all this junk have the high ground in your life. Be the royal Christian believer, son, daughter that you are. You know know who you are in Christ. The way you do that, if you have self-doubt and fear and all that, you get in that word and you speak that thing. That's what prayer looks like. You speak that thing, pull it down in Jesus' name. I may not feel it today, but I'm saying it. I may not believe it, but I'm going to say it until I believe it. And you just start. That's what prayer is. Half of my prayer time is me saying things I don't even know if I really believe Jesus. I believe you're good. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> you're good. Your word says you're good. So I'm just going to keep pulling down because there's a lot of bad over me right now. A lot of bad. Mm. I don't know about this church stuff. Mm, these people are tough. And just keep pulling it down in prayer. Prayer that transforms your, say it with me, surroundings. Here's the second thing I would teach you. Key to prayer that transforms. You still with me? Say yes. Yeah. 
And that is you need to be a person who prays without ceasing. This is the kind of prayer that transforms your surroundings. Number one, you've got to pray from your royal position. Number two, you've got to pray without ceasing. I'm going to give you a powerful scripture from which I've derived this from. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, and it says, pray without ceasing. <laughs> so let me translate that to the point today, pray without ceasing. That's really hard, right? Like, just pray. Grandma's not feeling good. Pray. Boss came in your office and said, you, you may not have a job by the end of the day. Pray. You're driving down the highway. Pray. You get a phone call. You get a text message from your son. He just got in a car accident. Pray. Pray without ceasing. That's not, that's not a, listen, the Bible, the Bible doesn't give us engagement pieces that, that are stupid that we can't do. The Bible doesn't expect, the word of God here is not expecting us to be, uh, spend our entire life in a monastery. I'm praying for food because I don't work, so I don't know where to get food from. That's crazy. That's crazy. This is very clear. Pray throughout your moments of your day. Pray without ceasing. Can I just help you? you, you you've got a lot of time on your hand you don't realize. You can have pray without ceasing while driving to work. You can have pray without ceasing while working out. Come on. Come on. You get in that treadmill for an hour and a half. Put the headphones on. Pray. Pray. I would challenge each and every one of you. Open a little notepad in your phone and put a list of all the things that need to be pulled down. Put a list. List that, that my son won't serve the Lord. That all my children seem to be wayward. I'd put that on a list. Pray without ceasing. I'm going to pray over that every day, every moment. When I'm working out, I'm praying over that. I'm telling you right now, if I had difficulty with finances, and I have in the past, it was on my list, and every, pray without saying, every day, I pulled a little bit more, 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 until it didn't have power over me, I had power over it. It's a stronghold in your life. It's a strong place. It's a high place that's bombarding you, and that's why you feel insecure and doubt. Not, keep pulling it, keep pulling it, keep pulling it. Some of you want it to go away magically. <gasps> I prayed once. Isn't that enough? No, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Why? Because some things just have to be pulled on and pulled on and pulled on and pulled on. Why? Because they didn't happen overnight and they're not going to leave overnight. Yep. And so you just got to keep pulling on it, pulling on it every day. And pull without, and what happens, the enemy realizes I can't get away from them. I can't outlast them until finally the enemy gives up. That stronghold is broken over your life. And you and I need to constantly be praying without ceasing. Do you understand? You have a, actually, you have a good number of minutes in the day that are waiting minutes. I don't know if you realize this. Uh, a recent survey uh, by Casumo.com uh, study in 2008 found that the average American had 42 minutes a day of just waiting. Yeah, 42 minutes a day that you just don't do nothing. You're waiting, waiting on somebody to come pick you up, waiting on Uber, waiting on, waiting on that meeting, you're sitting out front, waiting on that meeting, waiting, waiting on that traffic light, whatever you're doing, you're waiting. To total of average, 42 minutes. Some of you got a lot more than that. You retirees, you got a lot more than that. Waiting on death? No, I'm just kidding. And so, he, ah. In that time, here's what you, should, you and I should learn to do. In that time, open up that Word document. Those of you who write it down, well, it doesn't matter. You got a list of the things that you are daily pulling down. Open it up. Begin to pull it down, pull it down. You got to get over there to your family and say, you know what? I am not going to have financial difficulty. Me and my family are not going to be poor. And you pull it down. I don't know how we're going to get the next bill, but I bind it in Jesus' name. And every month, you're sitting at the red light, you're praying against it. I pray against every plan to make us poverty. I pray against every bit of this financial difficulty. I can't keep a job. I pray in Jesus' name until I say, you know what? No more. You don't 
have power over me anymore. And now it's under my feet. It's not over my head. It doesn't have that spirit of wickedness. That power doesn't have a stronghold position over me. doesn't have a high place. Same thing with sickness. Some of you just don't even know how to war against it. And what you have to do is I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I know that they said that I've got this disease and I'm going to die with this disease. But I say in the name of Jesus, I will live and not die and proclaim the works of the Lord. And every day you just speak that over that thing. You pray against that thing. Pull in that thing one pull at a time. One pull at a time. Every day, consistent. Day in and day out till you get to that place where you got it in your hand and you just pow and that's done. And then you stand on top of it and you say to everyone else, you can do it. You can climb that mountain. You can get the spot, high place back. You can get back the military position where he is under your feet instead of over your head. Can you imagine? And every time you're pulling that, all that bombardment, you can't do this. What are you doing? It's a waste of time. That little preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. Why are you messing around with all that? That's dumb. And remember when you learned this back in such and such in seminary? I almost said cemetery. And you learned all that kind of stuff. You know how that thing? I don't believe all that, friend. I'm going to tell you something right now. Pray without ceasing. You should have a list of things that you're pulling down on a daily basis. And you need it. You have a waiting moment at a red light. Pull that sucker out. I'm praying against right now in Jesus' name. We will not become financial ruin. These things are going to break through. This little advancement that I made in trying to have a little side business, God's going to bless it. He's going to make it work. I've told you this before, but a couple years ago, Jamie and I were in a situation. We let go of all of our financial uh, avenues uh, to be able to, to, to serve the church. The church was small. We had birthed it in our living room. It had grown to where it needed a, a full-time pastor, but it hadn't grown enough to where it could finance a full-time pastor. And so, and so we did everything we could. We sold our house. We pulled the kids out of private school. We did everything we could. I mean, we didn't, you know, we've been driving the same little beat-up cars, and we just said, we're going to do it for Jesus, and we're going to do it. And God blessed the church, and grew, and it grew, and it grew. And, and so, and, and here we are. And so we were down to our last big income tax check, and, and we sat there, and we said, Lord, you got to bless this you got to give us an idea, something supernatural. We refuse to let poverty come over us. We refuse to embarrass the kingdom of God because we don't know what to do. So, Lord, we're going to ask you for wisdom because, Lord, the church don't tithe enough to actually finance our lives. So, Lord, you got I'm just kidding. And so, um, <clears throat> so I, said, I said, Lord, I said, you got to do a miracle for us. And so we had that little bit of money, and I had an idea. It came from heaven, an idea. And I remember there was this little couple back at our church in Louisiana that financed all their children to go to, through private Christian school because they had these two little dogs. They had a male and a female, a little Sheltie, and they bred them and they sold the puppies and they made a lot of money. And so I said, Jamie, I just had this idea. I should have never said that to a cat lady. <laughs> and she started researching some cats and, and no one would sell them to us and we were praying, we pointed down in Jesus' name and we had this money and there wasn't enough to eat on because it wasn't, but we needed to make an investment, and we just kept pulling on that thing, and we bought a, a pair of cats. That first, that first female had something wrong with her. She gave us one litter, and then all but had to be gutted. Couldn't have any more babies. And so, so we called the person that sold it to us, and they were overseas. We bought this cat from uh, these, these animals from Germany, and so the lady was sweet enough to give us a discount on a second one, and we had to spend a little extra money. We're pulling on this thing. We're pulling on this thing. Pulling on this thing. And I wanna, I'm happy to re report to you, now after five, four or five years, Last year, those cats brought in enough money. They made so many babies, and we sold those kittens so much that they were one-third of our income, 30%. of our. We had a 30% increase over the last few years of our income because of a little side thing. You know why? Because we, we kept pulling that thing down. I will not. I will not give up. I will not blame it on the church. I will not blame it on nobody else. It ain't nobody's fault. I'm not wrestling with people. I'm wrestling with the spirit of darkness that's trying to keep us from being able to advance in the things of God. And this is not a prosperity message. This is you knowing your God message. This is you knowing the enemy that fights 
strikes against you message, and you're learning actually how to do spiritual warfare that actually causes your surroundings to change. Here's the third and final piece that I would teach you, and that is if you're actually going to change your surrounding through prayer, then you need to get some help. You need to get some prayer help. About nine, ten months ago, I recognized that when I was preaching, there would be these moments that some of you just were clouded. I'm like, dude, I'm preaching good, so I don't know what the problem is. And the Lord spoke to me. There's a force of evil that's trying to distract the people from hearing the word of God and receiving it. I'm doing everything. I'm I'm just trying to break through, you know. And so the Lord spoke. He said, this is spiritual warfare. What are you doing? I'm like, I am so sorry. So I called together a couple of our leaders and asked them if they would rally some folks that would do intercession during the services. And right now, there are ladies in our upper room prayer spot, and they're praying, crying out to God that your hearts and your minds would be open to the word of the Lord. It shifted. It shifted in a matter of weeks. It shifted. And the reason why, because that enemy was trying to get some high ground on us. And I said, oh, no, you will not. And got him on our feet. Prayer that transforms the surroundings. And you and I need to get help on that. That's why I ask you to connect with small group life. Because there are things going on in your life that are bigger than you and your family can even deal with. And there are, there are forces of evil over cities, over nations. Do you know that Cedar Hill is the highest point from the Gulf of Mexico to the Red River in Oklahoma? Do you know we've had an increased attempt in Satan worship here in this area? Staffing and city personnel have found uh, satanic... Um, um, uh, areas where they have had satanic witchcraft experiences up on our, up on our little hillside pieces. Because it's a high point. Why? Because the enemy wants to gain spiritual ground. We keep pulling it down. Our mayor keeps declaring that we're a Christian city, that we're not going to bow to that. We keep pulling it down, but it keeps trying to rise up. Do you know that Satan worship is, at a, is, a, is, a, is on a rise like never before here in the last two, three years? Why? Because people are looking for power and because the enemy's trying to gain ground. He's trying to get the high place. And when you think about what's going on in our nation... I would say that one of the biggest things that we have going on is division. Sean, would you come help me? And so what has to happen is we're not going to, the racism that we're experiencing, the division, the, the mistrust that's happening between cultures, between age brackets, between uh, political parties, I've never felt anything like it before. And the reason that is is because a strong man has gotten access and gotten a, a high spot over us. And well, it's time for the believers to get together and start pulling this division thing down in Jesus' name. And pulling on it and tugging on it together till we can get it down to a place where we can get our arms around it. And we can destroy it. And we can be a unified front. And I promise you, when you look around this church, what you see is us pulling down the strong man over our nation. Because you see black folks sitting next to white folks, white folks sitting next to Hispanic folks, Asian folks trying to get in here and make us all right. I mean, you see this whole thing happening. You see older folks with younger folks. Younger folks are like, well, I don't know. I mean, Hillsong and, and Bethel sure has a better flavor. But, you know, but I'm happy to be with some older folks. Older folks is like, I don't know the drums, the lights. Oh, my God. But we're fighting. Why? So we can unity. We're pulling that thing down, popping it, breaking it, and won't let it arise in our midst. Why? So we can be a showpiece for the nation. Come see. Come see the high ground. Come see what the ground looks like because the most segregated thank you Sean the most segregated place on the planet is churches most segregated place you'll find in any community is the church house we've been pulling on that thing I'm not saying we always get it right I'm not saying we don't stumble over trying to get it down. But I'll tell you one thing. Here at Church on the Hill, it's under our feet. It's not above us anymore. And we had to fight for it. We had to pull on it. We had to tug on it. I'll never forget when Pastor Lance, you know, our worship pastor, you do realize he's Amish, right? He's from <laughs> Lancaster. 
he ain't white. He's white, white, white. I mean, he's a whole nother level of white. And so when, when I started, hey, Lance, I want you to be our worship pastor, but you got to learn how to be multiracial worship. He, this panic came across him. He was like, I don't know how to do gospel. I was like, yeah, you ain't ever probably going to do gospel, right? I don't think that's, I don't think that's the goal. He said, what do I do? I said, what, what if you actually ask someone of color what type of worship they like and if they could coach us a little bit? Imagine that, asking each other how we can love and serve each other. And that's what he learned to do, and that's why our worship is this blend of young, old, cultural feel this, cultural feel that. And so if some of you got your one song, you're like, yes! And you're like, I don't, I don't know how to worship to this next one, but I'm glad you like it. That's great. Yeah, and the reason why we don't copy everybody that's got their little albums out with their same little rhythm, their same little beat, their same little sound. We're not doing that. Why? Because they're going to reach their same little people. We're trying to pull that thing down. That thing of division, that thing of disunity, and we're trying to be the church, so we look different. It's it's a lar- it's a harder pull. It's it, we're actually going after. It. We're not blindly pretending that it's not there. You can change our city if you'll get together with other folks and start pulling down the strongholds. You can change your family, and the surroundings, and the and, and the place that you're fighting back and forth. Mom and dad, you're spitting and fighting and separated half the year and all this kind of stuff. You got to pull this thing. There's a stronghold that's gotten place over you. And you've got to come together in prayer and pull that thing down. Some of you are still struggling with these strongholds of your mind. And you just, you know, you say, I don't know what to do. You've got to be consistent. You've got to fight from your royal position. You've got to day in and day out. You've got to be consistent. Fight that thing. Fight that. Pull that thing down. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And then you've got to get some help. The reason why I want you in small group life, because I need somebody that knows you. Somebody who's praying with you. The reason why I don't do, we don't do small groups like some of these other churches, hey, this month, is the, this month is the basket weaving small group. Who wants to do basket weaving? And then, oh, that's over after three months. Hey, who wants to do the Ephesian 5 study? That'll be fun. The reason why I don't want you doing that, because we don't even know you. Keep bouncing from group to group, and nobody knows what we're pulling on with you. And we need to all get together and say, listen, the more time I spend with you, the more you'll start opening up and letting me have a little bit of your heart. And then we've got to fight through all the misunderstandings. And so the reason why we do small groups the way we do is like just find somebody in the church that you halfway like, and then, and you, well, I don't like this about it. Well, yeah, but they don't like that about you, but come together, right? Because there's no, two perfect people don't make a perfect marriage because two perfect people don't exist. And you find that out when you get married, you're like, whoa, 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 who is this person, right? It's the same thing in church life. You get in small group, you're like, whoa, who are these people? I thought they loved us. Look at that. They didn't even invite us to all go golfing with them. Can you imagine? Well, we have to fight through those things so that we know what the strongholds are because we need to be pulling on those with each other and pulling them down. I want you to stand with me all across the room today. You guys have listened a little slow, so we need to quickly close out. You're so gracious to me. I don't know how you put up with me. Would you grab that hand of that person next to you? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me today. As we close out this little two-part series, Prayer That Transforms, it is time to transform your surrounding. It is time to stop being passive. It's time to stop blaming it on on everybody else. And it's time to really identify the real enemy and start pulling down. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the, to the, to the pulling down. To the what? To the pulling down, pulling down of strongholds. The high place. You've given up the high place. 
You've given up your strategic advantage in some areas of your life, and that's why you're tormented. That's why you're frustrated. That's why you look up and you say, I can't get there. It's too high. It's too far above me. And what you need today, what you need to do is get free. What you need to do today is, is, is just rise up. And first thing I want you to do, I want you to repent under your breath for allowing the enemy to get some high places in your life, in your family, in our city, in our nation. I want you to just take, take ownership. Say, Lord, I repent. I've let, I've let the enemy have a high place there. I've let him have a domineering area in my life, and that's not supposed to be. Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. So right there under your breath, say, Lord, I repent. I repent for giving up that space. I repent for giving up that, that area of, of, of our family. And, uh, and, and I'm not gonna let it happen anymore. Now, the second thing I want you to do right there under your breath is commit. Make a commitment to be a person of prayer. Be, make a commitment to make you a little list and find, figure out where the stronghold is in your life, where the, where the area that the enemy's trying to set up residence and, and, and bombard you from that place. I want you to identify what it is today. Write it down somewhere, either digitally or on a, on, on a pad somewhere. And then I want you to commit right now every day to pray without ceasing. Every day to pray from your royal position. Every day to find others to come alongside of you and help you pull these things down. Father, in the name of Jesus, come on, we join hands together so that we can be family, Lord. And we ask you now for our brother and our sister on either side. Lord, we pray for them. We pray alongside of them that the stronghold places would be pulled down. That, Lord God, they would be broken. That they would be nullified. Father, we thank you. It may be a battle. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But we're going to pray without ceasing. We're going to stay the course. Every waiting moment, instead of sitting around playing Candy Crush, Lord, every waiting moment, we're going to pull out that little spot on our on our phone and go through that checklist and pull one hand over another, pulling that thing down until we see the deliverance of our family, till we see the freedom of our own mind and heart, till we see the breakthrough in our nation, in our city, to our church stands in that place of completeness. Father, we thank you. In all maturity, we rise up into this era of our life, into this next season, and we stop acting like babies and we stop uh, making excuses and we realize that our, our wife is not our problem, our boss is not our problem, the way we were raised is not our problem, that there's a real enemy with a real plan, a real scheming to try to destroy us and we stand against it now. We stand against the plan, the scheme now and we identify the plan and we start pulling it down now in Jesus' name. Would you let go of that hand next to you? Keep your head bowed for a moment. I don't apologize for being passionate. But today, maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure if I die today if I go to heaven. I want you to know, Jesus loves you. I know that sounds trite because people have used it in a trite way. But I don't know any other way to communicate to you. The Bible says, that greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for a friend. When I tell you Jesus loves you, he doesn't just care about you. He died for you. Because see, each and every one of us are sinners. And the penalty for our sins should be death. If your little girl was kidnapped, raped, and murdered, and the person that did it was caught, and even if they felt sorry, you still would want them to pay for what they did. That's a universal law. A universal rule of humanity we've sinned against God we should have to pay and Jesus stepped up and said daddy I'll pay for him and he paid for every sin you will ever commit have ever committed it's already been prepaid there's an account with your name on it and all the sin that you ever commit has been prepaid you said oh, how do I access that account the Bible says if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ 
the Son of the living God, that He will forgive you. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what He'll do. So today, you're just a prayer away. You're just a confession away from being right with the living God. You don't have to perform. You don't have to give money to the church to be saved. You don't have to do, crawl on your knees and light candles to be saved. You're transformed the moment you call upon Him and surrender your heart and allow Him to become the Lord of your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God, but I don't want to live like this anymore. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I decide here now, I'm not going to embarrass you. This is a deep, private decision, but you need to make it. And by not making it, you are making that decision. Keep that in mind. So I want to give an opportunity. Here in just a moment, if you're away from God, you've never been a Christian or you've walked away from the Lord, you want to come home. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to lead you in prayer. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to point you out. This is is deep. This is authentic and it's personal. I know we're in, in a public setting. But I've tried to keep everyone's head bowed and everyone's eye closed so that you can have a private moment. And so you say, Pastor, that's me. You're speaking to me. It's time. I'm ready to serve the Lord. I'm ready for transformation. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. No one's looking around. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you, whoever that may be. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sweetheart. Thanks for your honesty. Anybody else? Pastor, thank you. I'm tired of living this way. I don't want this anymore. I want Jesus in my life. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not walking out of this place the same way I came in. One more second. Anybody else? Make sure, I, make sure I see it. Make sure you're waving at me. Make sure I see it. Amen. You can put your hands down. Number of hands today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Nothing magical about the words, but supernatural is that you lifted your hand and asked for Jesus in your life. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. In fact, I would like everyone in the audience to pray this prayer out loud with those who lifted their hands. Those who lifted your hand, mean it from the depths of your heart. I want you to pretend as though you're looking right into the eyes of Jesus and nobody else is there. It's you and him sitting at Starbucks across the table and you look into his eyes and you tell him that you love him, that you want him to forgive you and you want him to be the Lord of your life. That's what I want this prayer to look like and feel like. So would you, would you say it like this with me? Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you and I ask you now, forgive me. Please forgive me. I accept what you did on the cross for me. I accept your forgiveness. And here and now, I declare you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer with all sincerity. From the depths of their heart. God, I pray right now they'd feel the peace, the peace that comes from being right with you. Lord, I pray that they would feel the joy. The Bible calls it the joy of our salvation. Lord, the joy of just knowing that life is going to have ups and downs, but they're forever in your arms from this point forward. Lord, I pray against the lies that'll come tonight, tomorrow, maybe even at lunch. Ah, you didn't mean it. You don't really want to serve God. You can't do it. And I pray that, Lord, they learn from this teaching today and they start pulling down those strongholds and say, wait a minute, shut up. I may not be perfect, but I'm God's. I may make mistakes, but I'm still his son. I'm still his daughter. He accepted me and I accepted him and everything is different now. Father, I pray that that would be the wisdom that they walk out of this place here with today. And Lord, we call it as so in Jesus' name.